And now, a word from our sponsors. Need a catch-up session on what you missed last week? Now you're listening to ArchD Radio, the podcast mix. HD Life FM, James here with you. Hope you're having a wonderful evening. I've got this wonderful special guest with me here today who I have literally just met about, what was it, about half an hour, 40 minutes ago. You came in to have a chat about some stuff. The person who I'm speaking to here is Katie Spain, and she is the new journalist working for the Southern Cross, which is the big Catholic magazine publication. You can also get it online as well. But you're here now. You're giving us all of the Catholic news we need to know. That's my job now. And I hope I do it well, James. How's it? So it's been, you've been in here for a week. Literally a week. So I started last week and hit the ground running. Um, So tapping a keyboard and interviewing people is my happy place, especially if I'm out in the the wild, out in the world Mm -hmm. um, doing interviews. And I'm so excited to meet a whole new group of people and, and tell their stories to South Australians and beyond. It'll be really wonderful because, you, like you said before, we'll get to this in a second, but because you're kind of new to this world, you've come from outside of kind of like Catholic news and the Catholic organisations and things like that. All of these stories that you hear, there's going to be so much uh, freshness to your perspective on all this stuff. I'm very excited to start reading your What do you make of it coming from outside? Well, I hope that's I hope that's the case because um, I've been I've been writing about generally food and wine a lot, Mm. always people stories. Uh, But you know, after after many many years of writing about one thing, it's not that it gets boring, but. you've kind of in a way said all that you can. So when I saw this job pop up, it just appealed in so many ways because um, not just the social justice style stories, yeah. but, you know, um, the human stories and the, the the ordinary people doing extraordinary things for other people yeah. around um, not just South Australia, but Australia and, and the world really appeals. And, and I find myself waking up and being really excited to come to work because I don't know what stories I'm going to unearth today. Fabulous. Um, so it's been a, a good first week. It's been a really good first week. And as a journo, <laughs> that's what that's what makes you tick. Yeah, you know? so absolutely. I'm, I, I really, uh, I'm really excited. Brilliant. Well, we're going to be chatting all about that as well as kind of like your background. We got into sort of you started telling the story about kind of like, you know, when you grew up and where you grew up. And I said to you, stop. stop. We have to stop right now because I can't hear this uh, and 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 sound like I'm, I'm you know, that's the thing I, I always really don't like is when people ask questions that they already know the answers to. And you can really hear that. So we're not going to do that. You are hearing it for the first time. The real deal, everyone. This is how it's all going to work. Um, Can we get going, though, first? You started telling me about your early life, where you grew up, and you're here now. I mean, people who maybe look at this on the podcast version, they'll see a picture of you uh, there as well. But you are this incredible, like you're so colourful. You, you look, literally look like you've, you've stepped off a fashion runway somewhere. Everything uh, about you like screams uh, European culture and glamour. Wow. Um, and, and when you said, no, but this is where I grew up and this was my background, you go, okay, this has been, this has been a journey clearly. Can you talk a little bit about like your, your early life experiences and I guess there, um, where that led you, kind of coming out of that, and then moving into school was a was a big change for you, wasn't it? It really was. So it's interesting you say that that European glamour. Um, I am head or usually dressed head to toe in op shop. Uh, clothing mm-hmm. um I, I love that side of things you can go to a glamorous op shop these things exist oh these days are they getting way more expensive it's a you know it's a mm, it's a thing but so yes i grew up on a dairy farm in meningi rural south australia so meningi is about two hours 
from Adelaide uh, and we were on a dairy farm between a big lake called Lake Albert and the Coorong. And if anyone has read or seen Storm Boy, mm. that was literally my childhood. Yeah, so right. Getting off the school bus. But with bus, cows instead of pelicans. With cows. And um, we'd head to the Coorong after we got on off the bu- the school bus and walked, I don't know, it was a kilometre, it felt like 10 kilometres home through paddocks of thousands of cows. And um, and we'd get home, take off our school clothes and head straight to the Coorong and we'd come home when we, we kind of felt hungry. And what would you – was a dumb question. What would you do down there? Oh, we used to tie um, – we'd take the motorbikes and we'd tie skateboards and things like that to the back uh, and kind of t- – <laughs> Oh, it's not even, I won't call it tobogganing, but we used to slide down um, sand hills and we used to just look for lizards and snakes and fish and and just wild, free-roaming, free-range childhood. Must have been so wonderful. It was amazing. It was was a really great way to to grow up. It was also really hard work. So I'm tiny, um, Mm. very, very short little thing, but as soon as I could reach high enough to get take the cups off the cow's udders, that was it. I was in the dairy um, helping out and my brother was the same. So whenever anyone called in sick, it was us two eldest of four children that went in there and, and milked cows. And if, if if anyone out there hasn't milked cows before, I won't give Can't you the say gory. I've a cow. No. Well, I won't give you the gory details, but it's messy. You know, you're, yeah. you're standing below uh a bovine um, that lifts its tail and, and lets it all out on top of your head. Oh, so it's not just the milk spilling over the jars. No. It's, it's all the other possibilities. It's all the other things. And, um, and they can kick and they can get cantankerous. Uh, and, you know, you're doing this at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. So um, it, it, it's really hard work and there were no holidays for my parents uh, at all. Even Christmas Day, I remember we'd sit and we'd, we'd have to wait until Dad got home from, from milking and had a shower and a cup of tea before we could even think about opening the presents that Santa had bought us. So yeah, right. it, it taught us a lot um, during childhood. And, and, and then when I was about 13, I, uh, Mum and Dad sent me to Adelaide to go to, um, to, go to college. Uh, and I went Why to was s- that? Was that because lack of schools down in that neck of the woods or...? They wanted you to have a different experience. What do you think was a, the reason for a that? A bit of both, I think. Yeah. Um, the school I went to, Meningiero School, was wonderful in the sense that um, we I was surrounded by a lot of different students, a lot of a lot of Aboriginal students. So I was very lucky um, to be part of that, I think, as a, as a kid. And we would have school camps out to Camp Coorong where the aunties and uncles would teach us how to weave baskets and oh, wow. teach us about Dreamtime stories. Um, but, yes, once I got to that kind of middle school um, – age uh probably i think they just wanted to get a bit more culture into me and i was looking very set on wanting to become a dairy farmer um or you know shacking up with a and marrying a dairy farmer um and they just wanted me to see a bit more of the world they wouldn't have minded if i did that mum probably wouldn't have loved it for my future but because they knew how hard it was uh but they just wanted to open my eyes to things so sent me to adelaide and and i went to a, a private school which wow that was a that was a whole nother world now, for a little country kid. One thing that we do quite often on the show is we look at what's actually coming up in terms of the reading that we that we have in mass. And it's one, uh, it's Mark um, chapter one, verse 12 to 15. And it's about being truly tested and then having to come out the other side of that and make a decision that really does 
is the right soul decision for you? Was that a time that really did test you going and moving to the school? Oh, definitely. And it tested it tested everyone that um, that was kind of around me, I think, because they, you know, I arrived in Adelaide. I, I wasn't a boarding. Um, I didn't stay. I wasn't a boarder, so I didn't stay. They called them day bugs and boarders back where I went. Right. So I wasn't quite – I wasn't a boarder and I wasn't a, a day bug. I was kind of in this weird place in between. So okay. I didn't naturally – so where did you stay when you when you went up there then? Did with you, my grandparents. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yep. So I, I uh, so it tested them because I would ring home uh, and cry every single night for oh. about two years. Um, I, I I stopped crying after about two years and just said to mum and dad, "What are you trying to do to me? What are you trying to turn me into? Let me come home to the farm with my siblings and my friends where I want to be." And um, it was really hard on them because mum would always answer the phone phone first and. Yeah. Um, she was the, the hard one, you know, she, she, my dad would crumble straight away. Like, we've got to bring her back. And mum said, no, no, give it time. Stick with this. Uh, we're doing this for a reason. It's, it's for your own good and it's for your future. Um, so, so yeah, I stayed. I didn't really have any choice. But looking back now, and it probably ties into the reading, mm. is that when, when I finished university, um, which I, I finished uni quite young, at the end of my towards the end of the degree there was an opportunity to go over to um to europe on a scholarship and i went to germany and i i don't think i ever would have had the guts to apply for that if i hadn't left if i hadn't been challenged in that way and and taking that scholarship and going overseas even though it was scared scared me so much i had never been on it properly on a plane before certainly not that far Mm. um but it, it that completely Change the trajectory of my life. And now, Katie Spain from the Southern Cross newspaper is my guest. She's the new journalist there, keeping us informed on all things Catholic that are going on here in uh, South Australia and the Archdiocese of Adelaide. Now, where we left off, you had you've, you've come early life from a dairy farm. You've been pleading with your parents. You'd moved up to a school in Adelaide. You were, I guess, boarding there for for a certain for you were staying at your grandparents' house, but they were in Adelaide, um, and then. Um, you've applied for a, a scholarship to go over to Germany um, and you're on the plane, you've gone over there, you land. What's your first impression when you land? Well, my suitcases didn't turn up. It was the middle of winter. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So talk about throwing, getting thrown in the deep end. Yeah, so you didn't have time to have a first impression. You're like immediately in, in disaster prevention mode. I was a, I was... I was a uh, a stunned mullet, a rabbit caught in the headlights with not enough clothing for German winter. Mm. I remember my mum took me to Target to, to buy a <laughs> I was such a country kid to buy me a proper jacket to take to Germany, uh-huh. and we got one of those ones with um, it was more aesthetic than um, yeah, actually useful. Yeah. It had that fake fur. It did nothing um, mm-hmm. once I got there. But well, you realise too when you go over and you stay because I've I lived over there for a few years as well. And when you go into a shop and they sell jackets, they go, "This is nothing like a jacket." that we would see uh, yeah. in Australia. When I moved back, I had to get rid of them because I'm like, there's no reason why I would ever have a jacket like this Absolutely. to deal with snow and subarctic, uh, you know, minus, minus 10, minus 20 degrees. Exactly. So you know how, you know how yeah. it goes. Um, and and it, was, it was snowing. It was dark. Um, there was a, another student who came to kind of my, like my buddy um, to pick me up and took me to the university 
Universität Hornheim, um, so University of Hornheim near Stuttgart. Mm. And uh, I remember the accommodation they had me in at first was was it was so opposite to everything I was used to. It was this big, um, really tall kind of almost. Oh gosh, it looked like something out of Chernobyl. Actually, it was really bleak and lots of concrete, and this room with a, a bed. And, and of course, I had didn't have warm clothes, so I was just had this blanket. And I remember shivering. But on the way in, we'd we'd pass this other accommodation, which literally looked like hobbit holes. You know? Wow. Yeah, it was these kind of. It was they almost looked like underground tree houses. So so. Inside of them, it was all wood, and then they had these lakes, and it was amazing, covered like surrounded by trees. And I thought that's where I need to be. And I went the next day straight to the um, to the kind of you know student help organizers. Mm. And in my really kind of wasn't pigeon German. I'd been learning German for a while, but uh, I was, I, as I said, I was a bit of a stunned mullet at that point. So I, I'm not sure how well I came across, but I just convinced them that I needed to be in these hobbit in holes hobbit in order to feel <laughs> to feel safe and comfortable. And um, and it went from there. And I honestly, I was there for seven months, and it was life changing. It was it was. I went from being really terrified to almost addicted to the excitement of walking streets you've never been down and mm. and um, walking through forests to get down to the main city of Stuttgart and meeting new people from all over the world. There was lots of different um, cultures who had kind of converged on, on this university, which is an agricultural university. Yeah, I was going to ask, what is it that you were actually studying there? Journalism. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So they agricultural journalism agric- specifically. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I barely understood half of what they were teaching. Because <laughs> you're learning it in German too. <laughs> it was really challenging. That's it. Yeah. The, the best subject I did really, and the one that was most helpful was German. But I think, like anything in life, you know, you go you go to something like that, and 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 there are certain learnings you get from it. And I think the biggest learning out of that was just life experience mm. and being away from properly away from family um oh i should have mentioned on the second day the atm ate my um my card nice, as well. nice and you know these were the olden days i'm getting on now and uh you couldn't you couldn't just pick up your mobile phone and call home i didn't even have one yeah. so you kind of had to get in during opening hours get into a computer room and send an email and you know real old school stuff mm, yeah no, they, they, were, <laughs> they were crazy days Katie Spain is my very special guest, the wonderful new journalist here at uh, the Southern Cross magazine here in Adelaide with so many stories. My goodness. It's like you said before that you could like write a book around certain things. I was listening to a piece by a guy named Peter Hook and he was in a band called New Order and he was also in Joy Division as well. And when they said, write your biography, he said, I got to write three. (laughs) Because I've got these three very – and I, I wouldn't be barely able to get – so I had to agree that he would write three – and he's done exactly like – yours would be very, very similar probably. You could that. You could write one about the – I guess one about the, the early days on the farm and the Kurong and stuff like that. And then maybe, I guess, kind of schooling leading into your European experience and, and being in Germany and all of that kind of stuff. And then I guess there's a whole nother part after that. After you come back and return – um, you start working in radio, moving into a very niche-specific kind of journalism as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, returning and then kind of the kind of work that you you found yourself in and the sort of stuff you were driven towards? Sure. So after after Germany, I spent nearly seven years in London. Mm. And I went to London because uh, I wanted to be somewhere where I could understand the language sure. around me, but I really wanted 
BBC on my CV um, and got there, but uh, that was there's a whole other chapter. We'll talk about that another time. <laughs> so when I when I finally got off the plane back to the pull to Australia was really strong. And people, why t- why was that? Um, I think because my family was all here, and yeah. and I'm always I've always been quite career driven, and that's what I was doing over there. But um, at the end of the day. I think I just realised that what makes me really so happy is being around my my family, mm. um, and there was no chance they were going to move over there. That's for sure. And I had to make a decision. I either settle down here in in London, um, and this is where my life is, or I, I go home. Mm. Um, but there's this weird thing that happens. I don't know if it happens to everybody, but it happened in my my head, and it was a bit of a mental block. Where in in my mind, I thought that coming back to Adelaide was a step backwards. Um, career-wise and it was a very real feeling for me I was so wrong but it took me a few years to realize that and a job came up at Nova Radio in in Sydney Um, and I'd always back in my mind really wanted to do radio I'd done it um, like night shifts you know um, back in Adelaide and then I did an online um, radio show in East London kind of when that digital world was coming in and I thought yes I can go work at a a commercial radio station. Um, I was the web, basically the web girl for uh, the breakfast show, um, which was Merrick Russell and Kate Ritchie. And um, there was a strong circle of life thing going on there because um, when I was really young, driving the tractor for my dad around the paddock, around and around and around, I'd listen to Merrick and Russo on, when, Triple, on J. Triple J yeah. back in the day and always thought, oh, what a job! They just get to be funny for a living. <laughs> then, of course, uh, then of course, I, I go to Nova and realise it's not all just being funny for a living. Mm. Um, in between being funny, there, you know, it's it's hard work yeah. and um, and and a, a beast of a station like that was a revolving door of celebrities. And so it was it was like walking. It was as far from the farm as you could ever imagine. It was, it was, it was like walking from this big city London into this um, crazy radio show where they're literally recording. S- skits and doing you know on my first day I had to record with the video uh the presenters attaching a roast chook to another presenter's um tow bar and then an hour later um another presenter was was slapping another one with a fish they just bought from the market like that was my first day mm-hmm. and it got increasingly ridiculous <laughs> <Highbrow>. <laughs> from, the, from that moment on but you know uh, look th- they were great to work with but it did make me realize that I wanted to do a different kind of storytelling yeah. and uh it was an important lesson it made me realize that I wanted to tell in de- in depth real stories and go deeper mm. uh and and a job at the Adelaide magazine which doesn't exist anymore, but with News Corp and the advertiser came up and that's what eventually pulled me back to Adelaide. Um, and it was a specific, was it But that specific thing that you've become well known for, was that what that was as well? Were you doing that at that stage? No. No, no that was feature writing um, across all different lifestyle topics. And so you're referring to food and wine, I think. I am, yes. Yes. So for the last oh, five, six maybe seven years, I've been very food and wine focused. Uh, and the last four years, wine particularly, which I never thought would be my f- reality. Yeah. How does someone become that person? Is it really, because I can imagine, I've, I've, I've often thought about this because I've gone, you know, is it really about someone's, uh, I guess, kind of like their knowledge or their, um, I guess their palate or, or whatever, or is it more about you just get known as that person and then before you know it, 
everyone's coming to you. It's like you just find yourself in that position. I'm sure you've got you've got to have a I guess a passion for it or whatever. But like, um, is that how does it how did it happen? Oh look, I, it kind of the kind of the latter of the two, but with elements of the first. So okay, I kind of fell into it. So I was I was a journo first. I was a storyteller. I prefer the word storyteller to mm. journalist. Um, I was that's what I was first. I always go for the people story. Um, I'm known as a a kind of a a, a people heart driven storyteller, and no matter what the topic, that's what I'll always go for. And believe it or not, there's a lot of that in in wine, mm. because um, at 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 its essence, winemakers producers are f- they're kind of farmers, they're kind of scientists, they're artists, mm. uh, and they're a lot of them crazy creatives. So mm. it ticked a lot of boxes. Uh, but I was just – I had an appreciation for wine. I was i was going to a lot of wine events yeah. um, because it happened in South Australia that wine events started getting really fun and interesting. It wasn't that, you know, men in white um, cloaks or mm. laboratory-style tastings in a, in a stark room with um, no music or anything. It was that real winemakers there and taking you on site and into the barrel rooms and tasting out of barrels and mm. it was really exciting and different wine varieties were started. It wasn't just, you know, Shiraz and really oaky Chardonnay. Mm. I'm not going to get technical today because yeah. um, that is so boring. And maybe that's also why I fell into it. I think it was a time in wine writing where um, there was a need for something a bit more interesting and something that connects people through that kind of heart yeah. style writing and I don't know, right, right time, right place. Um, and I started writing feature stories for a, a national wine magazine called Australia's Wine Business Mag and I really liked it and I loved the conversations and then I thought, okay, the editor wanted me to do more of it and I thought, right, if I'm if I'm going to actually write about wine, I need to school up. So I went and did um, AWAC, which is a, a, a wine tasting course that kind of preps you to be a judge and started wine judging and yeah. just like really throwing myself into that world that I still wasn't quite sure I wanted to to be that immersed in, to mm. write about a beverage, I thought I would get. <laughs> about a beverage. A, and an alcoholic beverage, let's be honest, you know, I, th- I wake up every morning, I've woken up every morning for years thinking about that. I'm I'm writing and telling about a moral, people to drink. Yeah, yeah. a moral conundrum. Um, and how do you, like, where, where have you landed on that? Or is that still something that you consider all the time? Well, I'm now on the, on the side, as well as this job, national drinks writer for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, um, interstate. And drinks, as they say it, encapsulates um, low and no alcohol. I could be writing about water tomorrow, you know. Um, And the type of stories I choose to write as much as possible are about trying to – if people are going to make a purchasing decision and put something into their bodies, where do they put their hard-earned cash to make sure that it's a producer that produces – they might be farming biodynamically or organically or, you know, they they, – do they have a holistic approach to what they're doing? Mm. And so that helps me wake up in the morning and know that I'm at least trying to tell stories that matter. Yeah, wonderful. I'm here with Katie Spain. She's my very special guest, the new journalist with the Southern Cross here in uh, South Australia. Now, we've been talking a lot, and I, I, I naturally get drawn into what you're saying, that even when you're talking about things like writing about food or writing about really anything, a story sits at the heart of it all. Because I, it is something that, you know, with the work that we do with with students talking about radio and podcasting, it's something that that we focus on a lot, but it's something that a lot of people don't really think about 
how important a story is behind things in order to really draw people in and get people engaged. When did you like first realize that actually having a narrative underneath the things that you were writing? Because I guess as a journalist, you'd be writing just normal kind of like news stories and this mm. happened today in the government and this, this and this. So you'd have to do those kinds of articles. Um, at what point did you kind of realize how important and fundamental it was to talk about stories and really get people to connect with the stories of others and see themselves in, in in the lives of other people. I think it was I think it was from the feedback and the reactions that I got to certain stories. And um, let's talk about the advertiser, for example. Um, so you know you could you could do a story about uh, you could have a story running about a, a celebrity or whatever, and and it's a real splash type thing. But it was. It was the real stories, you know, the, the nana in the nursing home who's lived a life and and talks about um, what she's done and where she's been and the challenges or uh, the bungee jumping nana who um, threw herself out of a plane, that type of thing, that, that kind of aspirational reality uh, that does connect with people. And it harks way back to the farm, I think. Country people um, are well-known and I've done interviews around this with huge big editors. Helen McCabe, who was editor of mm-hmm. um, yep. Australian Women's Weekly, talked about it. She's a country kid, former country kid from Hamley Bridge, right, really out in the sticks. And she said that in her career she's really noticed that uh, country kids make really great journalists. And I think it's because largely um, we like a chat. Mm. We've grown up in in a world where um, – you know, communicating with people from all walks of life is just what you do. You, I think you tend to be quite stripped down and humble when you've grown up on a farm uh, because of the nature of the hard work and the realities of agriculture um, and, and just that, that innate curiosity that some people really have. So, yes, the reactions from readers to those type of stories was really, really powerful. They would be the ones that I got letters for um, and about. Uh, and then... It's just, I mean, it's just the type of storytelling I like to do as well. I think, I think we're in some ways we're losing in mainstream media. We're losing that love of great storytelling and the art of of really great writing, and and it it that crosses over to podcasting. You know all about this, James. You know the the podcasters who managed it. They make you feel something, mm. and you want to go to dinner that night and sit around the dining table. Or sit, you know, sit around um, a table with your friends and tell them about it, and that uh, that's a really powerful. And if you look back to, I mean, the original, and I still believe best storytellers um, are our First Nations people mm. who, who, um, oh, yeah. you know, I, yes, that that is that the power of of storytelling in that um, in that sense of passing on um, really important life lessons and, and history and, um, all those types of things in a way that you remember and you can, you can dip back into is I think powerful. And as a kid, if, you know, if your parents were great storytellers, which my dad was, he took us bunyip hunting, you know, whenever he had a free moment. (laughs) And to this day, I still kind of believe in bunyips. I always look up into the gum tree looking for, for different, the very different types um, of, of bunyips he taught us about. But you know, that, that's a precious memory and something I really hold on to. So I hope storytelling doesn't die. I hope print doesn't die. A lot of people say it will, but um, I think there are so many mediums now that we can 
tell stories through um, and, you know, you're doing it right now. It's, um, it's powerful I think you're stuff. the one doing it right now, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to surrender the mic you're to ask, you anytime. You're asking the right Brilliant questions. Stuff. James here with you this evening, joined by Katie Spain, the wonderful journalist from the Southern Cross. And if you've only just joined us, man, you have missed out. I'm just going to tell you right now. But good thing is you don't have to miss out. You see, because if you listen to us on the radio, you can listen to the podcast version. If you just look for HD Radio, wherever you get your podcast and look for this very, very glamorous European <laughs> lady who um, you'll, you'll see what it is. It'll also say Katie Spain next to her too. So that's easy as well. That's <laughs> lovely. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for, for coming in. Um, your work, I guess, will start coming out in the Southern Cross very, very shortly. Can you give us a little bit of a, a teaser as to some of the articles that you're working on straight away? Oh, absolutely. So last week I, intru- I interviewed a, a new Korean priest who has just arrived and um, he's going to be working very closely with the Korean community. Uh, I was in Panola on Friday. So I get around. I was in Panola on Friday uh, and then I was in Mount Gambia on Saturday. So mm. I've been on the ground collecting some stories from there. And uh, I'll be doing a story on yours truly, James. Oh, yeah. Because that uh, was the reason why you were here and and I roped you into doing a show. (laughs) Hey, while you're here, can you do the show? Oh, so is it it about me, the story? Well, it will be be largely about you. You're my main commentator about, uh, you know, the art of podcasting and what makes a good podcast and and how people should approach it if they want to do it. And look, if anyone out there listening has a great story that they want to contact me about, um, I'm always on the hunt for really beautiful stories. So um, just hit the Southern Cross website and you'll be able to get my details. Absolutely. We'll put a link in the in the Facebook social media for that as well so you can get in touch with Katie straight away with your amazing stories because you know if you've got an amazing story it deserves to be heard and that's just all there is to it Katie thank you so much for coming in and doing the show with us today um yeah hopefully see you around like you're great you're great company like I want to hang out more (laughs) okay uh we are here every week with a brand new podcast version of the ArchD show check out all of our other podcasts including the latest school life content on our website, archdradio.com, and find us on social media at ArchD Radio for heaps of behind-the-scenes stuff. Or you can catch the show when it airs on Life FM every Wednesday night from 9, every Saturday night from 10. We will see you again very soon. Bye.